Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Beloved, this morning our reading comes to us from the Gospel according to Mark. This story in Mark leaves us wondering and longing for more. Mark's Easter gospel ends with silence rather than hallelujah, and Jesus never appears. What we know is that Mark wrote in a time of trauma. After the Romans had squashed the Jewish rebellion, destroying much of the temple and much more of Jerusalem, Jews were killed by the thousands, and those who followed Jesus of Nazareth were increasingly persecuted. The Galilean ministry in the early chapters of Mark include a relentless demonstration of Jesus' profound agency and power, but also profound misunderstanding and confusion. Even his closest followers cannot seem to figure out who Jesus is and what he's up to. So pervasive is this theme of misunderstanding that Mark's Jesus is constantly asking people to keep silent about him. Mark wrote this gospel for those who had never seen Jesus nor heard him speak. And he invites us to stand where those first witnesses stood in that space between absence and possibility. Hear now a reading from the gospel according to Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8 of the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place where they laid him. But go, go, tell his disciples and Peter's that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word.
Easter Sunday, it is every pastor's dream. It really is the big one. And people ask me, uh, is Easter a little like the Super Bowl Sunday for a pastor? And I say, no, it's way better. It's like a Taylor Swift concert. That's how great Easter is. The sun is shining. The sanctuary is humming. The music is soaring. All the little kids are sugar buzzing on yellow peeps and jelly bellies. And the Easter story is so inspiring, isn't it? Life prevails and love wins and Christ is alive. And that means we can go on and we must go on despite whatever bleak stuff life throws at us. Why? Because death does not have the last word. And on Easter Sunday, our faith is so brave and emboldened and buoyant. But we easily forget that the very first Easter wasn't exactly a hopeful and victorious Cadbury cream, honey-baked ham kind of day. For those earliest followers, the Easter morning began in hopelessness, uh, with this deep sadness over the inexplicable human loss of their beloved and innocent rabbi named Jesus, who just two days ago on Friday had not only died unexpectedly, but had died unjustly by the most violent and inhumane means imaginable, public crucifixion on a cross. And so when they woke up on Sunday morning, their rabbi was dead. And if death alone wasn't tragic and painful enough for them, it was that his divine dream, the, the dream that had so captured their imaginations and hearts, seemed also to have died with him. For them, it was that very divine dream that Jesus preached for three years that made him so special to them. And it's why three years earlier, they left everything to go follow Jesus. Because Jesus wasn't like all the other rabbis of his day. He didn't seem to really be into religion much at all, believe it or not. And he never really once taught that we should all become more religious. Instead, Jesus was captured by this extraordinary dream for the whole world. And he lived for this dream, and he died for this dream, and in the end, it was only a small minority of people in his time that actually bought in and believed that dream. And it's the dream that seems even today to be so impractical and so unreasonable that, that, that few now even believe it. Now, what was that divine dream? As Jesus looked out at his everyday world and saw Roman soldiers clashing every day with Jewish peasants and protesters, and as he witnessed his own Jewish people living under military occupation and suffering every day from injustice and fuming with hatred and hostility, and as he saw just how tense and how tired and how testy everyone had become, like so many people have become today, Jesus believed that there was this divine purpose that was guiding the world. And despite all the evidence to the contrary, that purpose was leading the universe towards something good. The world might look like a complete, aimless, random mess right now, but Jesus believed it was all going somewhere toward redemption. Redemption. 
And so for three years he dreamed out loud that someday love would overcome hate and goodness would triumph over evil and kindness would, would defeat cruelty and humbleness would overthrow pride and mercy would turn uh, strangers into friends and forgiveness would transform enemies into brothers until everything that was broken in the world would be brought back together and restored. Until, of course, the world would finally look like the way God had originally imagined it would become. That was the dream of Jesus. And his earliest disciples believed it. Like you, they believed that there was a better world possible. And so they left everything to follow that dreamer in pursuit of his dream. Because they believed if they followed the dream and lived it out in their daily lives... They could actually change the world. But then on Friday, the dreamer was crucified and buried. And they assumed that along with the dreamer, the dream had been buried too. But Easter says they were wrong. And on Sunday, the dreamer rises from his tomb and with him, so too does the dream. Do you believe in that divine dream? Have you ever thought that the universe might be headed somewhere good? Uh, have you ever thought that your life and time and history and the events of your life in the world, all of this, it's not just random and aimless, but that it might all be heading towards something good and that there might actually be a divine power that is calling everything and all of this toward that goodness. Jesus believed that, and his disciples did too. What about you? The 19th century abolitionist minister Theodore Parker once captured the nature of this divine dream, this uh, cosmic purpose, if you will, when he spoke of the, quote, the moral arc of the universe. And Parker, in his time of slavery, said, this is difficult to see sometimes because the world is so harsh and cruel. And life can sometimes feel so bleak. But Parker said that the moral arc of the universe bends toward justice. And a half century later, Martin Luther King Jr. paraphrased Parker by saying famously, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. All right. So you may be wondering, what any of this has to do with Easter. But it's so tempting for Christians to simply spiritualize Easter and to turn it into a lesson about the immortality of the soul and the promise of eternal life someday in heaven. And you can say that Easter is about all of these things, but it wasn't actually until around the second century that Christians made Easter primarily about those things. For the earliest followers of Jesus, resurrection of the dead was... It was a completely foreign concept, which is why if you look at all four Gospels, you'll find that nobody believed it really happened. None of those that were closest to Jesus could even imagine that to be possible. Jesus risen from the dead. For the earliest followers of Jesus, Easter was more like a, a strange hunch. And maybe the divine dreamer in his dream, but they weren't finished. 
and that for us there is still work to do, that there is still some more bending of the moral arc of the universe to be done. Anastasis is the Greek word for resurrection. It means to rise up, to rise again, or literally to stand up. And it speaks of the rising of Jesus to new life. But it also speaks of the rising up of those earliest followers who after the death of the dreamer almost gave up on the dream. The root of anastasis is of course stasis from which we get the word static. And static means inertia, stagnation, stuckness. And that was the condition of those disciples, stuckness. The world had knocked them down and Easter was their call to get back on their feet again. The world had slowed them down and Easter was their call to get moving again, to get off their donkeys (laughs) and back on their feet and to get moving in pursuit of that divine dream that didn't die on Good Friday after all. Maybe you are like some of those earliest disciples of Jesus and you look at the world and and sometimes it, it doesn't seem to make much sense. And sometimes it just seems senseless. And sometimes it's hard to really believe that there really is a divine dream for this world and a moral arc to the universe and a, a divine being guiding it toward that becoming. And maybe you wonder instead if all this is just random and aimless. Or maybe you do believe in that divine dream, but it's hard to find it in today's world. You look at the shape and nature of that moral arc today in the world or even in your life, and you just can't see it. And you feel stuck and weary and discouraged because in this world, there is so much resistance to the divine dream. If that describes you, I want to say you're not alone. And the story of the first Easter is a story for you too because that's how those earliest followers of Jesus also felt that first Easter. The dreamer was dead, the divine dream was buried, and they were hopeless and stuck. And on Easter morning, they woke up like we did today to a Good Friday world, a world of war, of tanks, tear gas, hopelessness, that feeling sometimes that the world's never going to get any better. And so they go to the tomb to find the dreamer, maybe just to cry it out, maybe just to get used to it, maybe just to get on with life and just to try to do the best they could with the time that they have for as long as they can in a world that seems so aimless and random and cruel. But when they get to the empty tomb, they discover the dreamer's missing. And they hear this message from a messenger there at the garden who speaks the most hopeful words on that Easter and every Easter ever since. He's not here, he says. He's gone ahead of you. Back to where you came from in Galilee, your ordinary world that feels so random and messy. The messenger is saying the dreamer is alive and the dream is still being dreamt and get off your donkey and get on your feet and go pursue it. And just when they thought they couldn't go on, they knew they must go on to pursue the dreamer and to work on the dream. Easter is a story 
for anyone who is stuck but still wants to believe that the world really is headed somewhere good, that it's not random or meaningless or aimless, and that the universe is bending towards some goodness and some justice, and that we, each of us, get a chance to be a part of the bending of it. Which means on Easter, the only question that remains is, will we pursue the dream? Will we find ourselves up for the chase back to Galilee? The great writer Annie Dillard wrote long ago about how when she was seven years old, uh, six inches of snow fell on her neighborhood one winter morning. And she was with these neighborhood boys, and they were standing out in some random, well-trafficked street on a corner, and they were making fresh snowballs, and they were taking aim at each passing car. And a black Buick drove by, and, and the group quickly spread out, and they waited for the right moment, and they fired away. And a soft, fresh snowball struck the driver's windshield right before his face, It was a perfect hit. And to their surprise, the car suddenly pulled over and stopped. And the door opened and this man jumped out and he began to run toward them. He didn't even stop to close the car door. There was this man dressed in a full suit and tie and dress shoes and he ran after them and they ran for their lives. They split up except Annie Dillard says she found the youngest of the boys and stuck with him and the man chose to pursue those two. And she said he, he chased them around houses, up backyard paths, under low trees, across driveways, through backyards and porches and wood piles. He wouldn't give up block after block. He chased them silently over picket fences and through thorny hedges and around garbage cans, across streets and through the backyard labyrinths of 10 square blocks until he finally caught them by their jackets. And she said, there they stood, staggering and coughing in this obscure backyard. This man in his 20s and these two kids. And she said, he chewed them out. But she said, that wasn't the whole point of it. The point, she said, was that he had chased us passionately without giving up. And so he had caught us. This skinny, sainted, red-headed man who wished to have a word with us. Maybe Easter is God's snowball on the windshield of our vision. An unexpected intrusion, a divine provocation to see if we're up for the chase. To see if we'll still pursue the dream. Easter is our catalyst for living a life of hope. Living a life of hope in a world where more and more people look at the world and say it's all just random and aimless and there is no meaning to it and there is nothing beyond it. The great philosopher Immanuel Kant, he once wrote about the importance of hope and how closely it's aligned with our action. Think about your relationships that you have or your projects. Maybe you're a parent or you're working on a big a big project right now. Kant said the reason that we do those things, the reason we commit to someone or some purpose, is because we hope that it's going to end well. 
He said we can't rationally or logically prove hope. Instead, we can only go about our daily decisions and choices and actions, believing that there is some good end point, some outcome at the conclusion of it. He said we have to have this hope. We have to live with this hope that things are going to go well. Hope, he said, is what motivates our actions. And what about you when you look at the world? What do you hope for? What are you working for? In 1952, Emil Zatopic, a Czechoslovakian runner, arrived at the 52 Olympics in Helsinki, Finland at the ripe age of 30. Zatopek had come to compete in the 5,000 and the 10,000 meter races, and to the surprise of many, he made Olympic history. In the 5,000 meter race, he came all the way back from fourth place to win gold and to set an Olympic record. From there, he went right into the 10,000 meter race and again won and set an Olympic record. And Zatopek had come to the Olympics. Uh, Uh, with this dream, and and he accomplished it. Uh, Two races, two goals, two Olympic records. But on the last day of the Olympic Games, Zatopek decided at the last minute that he'd try his luck at the marathon. And he had never competed in the marathon. But the dream, the hope of winning three golds, compelled him to at least try His strategy was simple, that he would simply run alongside Jim Peters, who was the British world record holder. He figured if he could keep pace with Peters, maybe he'd have a chance. And halfway through the race, after this punishing first half pace, a group of runners fell away from the field, and it was just Peters and Zatopek. Peters later said that up to that point, the pace had been far too fast, and that he'd already overtaxed himself, but at the halfway mark, Zatopek looked over at Peters and said, is this about the right pace, or should we be going faster? Peters said he was suffering mightily, but he hoped at that moment to crack Zatopek, and so Peters said, ideally, we should be going faster. So Peters, uh, after saying that, looked over at Zapotec and he immediately put on the gas. Zatopek picked up the pace and immediately Peters cracked. He quickly fell off the back. And Zatopek won gold by a half a mile, breaking the Olympic record by six minutes. And it came down to one simple question under the most extreme circumstances. Is this about the right pace? Or should we be going faster? What about you? In a Good Friday world, are you still pursuing the dreamer and his divine dream that lives on today? Are you bending the moral arc of the universe? Are you acting on your hopes? And are you going at the right pace? Or should you be going faster? Our takeaways on this Easter Sunday, the dreamer and the dream live on in each of us and all of us together. And the arc of the moral universe is long, 
but it does bend toward justice. And so may we, like Christ, never ever in this life rest in peace, but rise up and hope. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.